I'll tell you, joy is the key to a proper attitude in life. And brethren, we are all going to face all kinds of trials and struggles. It's not all a picnic. It's not all a, it's not all a hallelujah shouting match. I know that, friend. But joy is not created by possessions. Joy is not created by positions. Joy is created by a person, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good dose of holy joy would do us all well. And I'm not talking about silly putty religion here, brother. I'm talking about something that comes from being rightly related to God and being in the presence of God. I believe of all the people alive on planet Earth today, we should not be wringing our hands and worrying about the future and worrying about the end of the world and worrying about this and worrying about that. I believe of all the people in the world, we should have the joy of God in these latter days unparalleled to the rest of our society. Good morning, Transit. How's everyone doing? Good. Everyone excited about Christmas? Yeah, I got your Amazon Echo ordered on the way. All right, cool. Well, hey, my name is, uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on uh, the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, open those up, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles in the center aisle for you as well. And if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks uh, for a- the season of Advent, for this Advent season, we've been continuing our series on Philippians, but, but looking at it with kind of an Advent twist. So two weeks ago, the first theme of Advent uh, was rejoicing in the Lord. And, and last week, Jeff talked about the peace of God, and this week we're looking at contentment in Christ. And so as I was preparing for this message, I thought, what better way to prepare for uh, an Advent sermon than by talking about Halloween. So uh, one of the joys, a quick disclaimer, one of the joys about being a father and a pastor is all of the sermon illustrations you get being a dad. I just have a Rolodex of, of my daughter Kelsey and, and all the amazing ways that she helps me illustrate sermons. And so I got a good one that's been uh, since Halloween that I've, I've stored up. And, and anyways, so now I'm sharing it with you. But here's the deal. So believe it or not, uh, I'm a pastor and a Christian, and my wife and I took our daughter trick-or-treating on, on Halloween. Uh, Email Jeff about that if you have any concerns about that. But anyways, um, she, uh, she got uh, a bunch of candy in this cute little bag. And, and, and the cutest thing to see after Halloween was, uh, was how in love she was with all of these new silver shiny idols that she got. And so she literally would carry these around the house wherever she went. And, and there came a night after Halloween where my daughter, Kelsey, who's probably 17 months old at the time, decided to... Uh, to dump all of these, you know, cute little candies that she loved on the floor, and she didn't want to hold them in a bag anymore. She wanted to, to carry each of these candies, like, individually all at once. Okay, so literally, we have it on video. It's the cutest thing. I, I would show the video, but we look like terrible parents in the video, so I'm not going to show it. But she, she reached down, and, and she grabbed, like, you know, fun-sized, you know, Snickers and, and, and put it in her neck and, and then grab another one, you know, like a lollipop, and then put it in her armpit, and literally, this process would go on and on and on. And Jen and I were watching this, and we're like, oh my gosh, she's about to carry all these candies. This is amazing. Like, this is incredible. And what would happen is always towards the end, towards like the last piece of candy, she would reach down, she would grab the last piece of candy, and she wouldn't see it. But as she reached down, another piece of candy would fall out of her neck. 
And, and so then she would look down and be like, well, I had this piece of candy. I thought this was going to be make, make me happy, but now there's another one there. So, so now let me secure this one and let me grab this one. And then she'd reach down and two more would fall out. And this process continued on and on again. She'd reach down, two more would fall out. She'd pick those ones up. One more would fall out. And she got more and more discontented, more and more frustrated. And, and, and it, it culminated into like an absolute, like just meltdown, breakdown, where she threw all the candy and stormed out of the room. And that's when I kind of swooped in. And I was like, Kelsey, it's, it's going to be all right. This is crazy, you know? But, but here's the deal. The reason I share that is because uh, in the video, as this is going on, I, I told Jen, because this is the way my mind works. I'm always thinking through illustrations. I said, oh my gosh, Jen, does this not uh, perfectly encapsulate the human condition? Like literally, does this not picture humanity's constant search for contentment? Where, where we are, we literally have neck fulls of blessings. Like, like Kelsey was living every kid's dream. She was literally drowning in candy, was covered in candy. But listen, it was always the candy that was just out of reach that she believed was the secret to her happiness. And the reason I know that is because we talked about that and she told me all this at 17 months. We unpacked this. And so Kelsey believed this is what I, Kelsey believed this, she, I call it the, the if-then fallacy of the human condition, where if I just get that candy that's out of reach, then I'll be happy. And we're all plagued with believing these lies that our happiness can come from our circumstances, right? So if you were here and you've been, you've been single, you're saying, well, if I just get married, yes, thank you, God, for all, you know, all these candies you've given me, all these blessings you've given me, but it's that one I want. And once I get that one, then I'll be happy. And then we get married. It's actually, God, that wasn't enough. Once I have kids, then I'll be happy. And okay, God, you gave me kids. Well, well, someone's got to feed all these kids. So God, I need a promotion. Okay, once I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. And then once my kids move out, you know, it just the, the process is never ending. And and uh, what's sad is that is that there's a never ending process of you and I searching for contentment for that which only brings more discontentment. And the more and more we search for contentment in the wrong things, the more and more discontented. We get. St. Augustine had this quote. I'm sure you guys know it, but it's, it's just awesome. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. See, I don't think the issue is necessarily our discontentment. The issue is where you and I choose to go to quiet our restless hearts. That's the issue, is we believe the lie that contentment can be found in areas that only bring more discontentment. And as that, that, that video was showing, is that our, our key to contentment is, is, not a, is not a more, you know, a higher position or a higher payroll or whatever. The key to contentment is found in a person. His name is Jesus. He, he lived the perfect life for you. He died on your behalf. He, he's forgiven you of your sins, reconciled you back to God so that finally your, your restless, discontented heart could find true contentment in him. And so uh, something I'm going to hone in on this morning is that I think the key to our contentment is a shift of focus, a shift of where we fix our gaze. We're going to be looking at Paul's situation that he was in and what Paul chose to focus on in the middle of a really difficult circumstance. And so Philippians 4, 10 through 13, let's read this uh, out loud together. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, a lot of us are, are here this morning with heavy hearts. Hearts that are restless. Hearts that are wondering why we're going through the things we're going through. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and you would comfort us or that you speak to us through your word. We thank you for your presence in and among us. And I just pray, God, that you would change hearts, you would change our minds this morning through the power of your word. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son on our behalf so our restless hearts can find rest in you. And I pray that you do what only you can do this morning and that you would increase and I would decrease up here. We pray this, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Well, um, before we jump into this passage, if you've been with us for the past couple uh, weeks as, as we've been looking through uh, this, this book of Philippians, um, we need to ask this question. You, you, you might know the answer to this question, but if this is your first time here, you might not. Where was the Apostle Paul when he wrote this letter? And I'll tell you where the Apostle Paul was not when he wrote this, where he wasn't when he wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. I got news for you. The person, the author of this letter is not sitting in a Starbucks sipping on a pumpkin spice latte, updating his blog on a $2,000 MacBook Pro, thinking through trendy hashtags. That's not where the Apostle Paul is when he is writing this letter. What we know is that uh, the Apostle Paul was was 24-7. Literally every second of every day, he was either chained to something or he was chained to someone. He was in jail. He was in prison. See, Paul's retirement plan was imprisonment and then execution. That's how he spent his last days on the face of the earth. And the reason that is important is because it's it's important for us to know as we read through this letter and we talk about contentment, that Paul, this author who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, knew how to suffer. He knew and experienced suffering. He knew how to be brought low, and he also knew how to abound. And I think it's, um, it's also important for us to remember that because, listen, it would have been super easy for Paul in this situation that he was in to become completely and entirely self-absorbed and consumed with himself, right? Like, like as I was preparing for this message, I put myself in Paul's shoes, and, and literally I was like, man, if I was to write a church, uh, a letter to, to the church at Philippi when I was in jail 2,000 years ago, it would have looked a lot different than Paul's letter. All this talk about rejoicing and, and, and thanking God for my chains and, and all this talk, I would have been like, SOS, Philippians, get me out of here. Send someone, please. You know, this is terrible. I, I can't even, you know, it, it would have been completely different. But Paul, that wasn't Paul's ma- mindset. That's not what Paul did. And, and, and it serves us well to stop and ask why and to ask how is that even possible to be in jail, to be imprisoned, and yet rejoice greatly in the Lord. How is that possible? And I would say that uh, the only reason that is possible for a Paul is because he knew Jesus. And see, when he came to know Christ, what happens to an individual who encounters Christ and Christ grabs a hold of his heart, what Jesus does is he completely rewires and shifts our worldview so that we look at our life and we look at our circumstances completely different. Right, Jeff talked about the peace of God last week and the verses leading up to the text we're in this morning. What does the Apostle Paul say? Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on these things. Think on these things. 
And that's our hope with our discontentment. Our hope is in Christ and not a change in circumstances. And so the three things that stick out to me in this passage, the three points of my talk this morning, we're going to be looking at what Paul's focus was, where his gaze was in the midst of his chains. And the three things that stuck stuck out to me was, was one, Paul's focus was on God's provision. Two, Paul's focus was on others, on everybody else but himself. And two, and, and three, Paul's focus was ultimately on Jesus Christ. And so the first point of my talk this morning is it serves us well to, to hone in on the fact that Paul's focus was on God's provision. His focus was on everything that the Lord had already provided and not the one thing that God hadn't provided. Look at verse 10 with me. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what's happening here in these verses is that uh, the Philippians, God put it on their heart to give Paul uh, a gift. They kind of revived their concern for him, and they sent their messenger, Epaphroditus, to, to bless Paul. We're not sure what that gift was, and, but what Paul's doing here is he's thanking them for it. But what's so interesting here is that in the midst of all this, Paul doesn't directly say, thank you, Philippians. You guys catch that? He's, he's not, he's not going to flatter them. What he's saying is, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Yes, your gift was great, but what your gift is evidence to me is that God is at work in your heart. God is sanctifying you to be more generous and more concerned with other people, and that is why I rejoice in the Lord. We're going to unpack that here in a little bit, but what first sticks out to me here is that uh, Paul was grateful. Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord. God was, he had reason to rejoice. He wasn't focused on his chains. He wasn't focusing on his sufferings. He had reason to rejoice, even in the midst of dire circumstances. That was his focus, not on all the burdens, but on the blessings that God had provided for him in that situation. And so uh, the Lord's been really working uh, on me with with contentment uh, uh, recently. And uh, this fall, I was having uh, a time with the Lord on, on my back deck, and I started this time with my Lord on the back deck, and I said, I said, God, what do you want this time to look like? I, ha- I have my plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read scripture and, and journal and, and drink coffee and all that stuff, but, but what do you want this time to look like? And I just really felt the Lord put in my heart, hey, Nick, I want you to look, look out at the backyard. It's like, okay, it's kind of interesting. I'll just look at the backyard. So I, I stand up, and I'm just looking at the backyard. If you're my neighbor, you probably think, okay, that was weird if you saw that, but um, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, and, and this is how my thought process goes. I'm kind of scanning everything. I'm like, well, okay, this is kind of weird. What am I looking at? Then all of a sudden, I start picking out everything that was wrong and needed to be fixed, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all those sticks. Somebody's got to pick those up, and it's, it's not going to be my 17-month-old, although she's pretty good at picking up candy. But anyways, I got to pick up those sticks. And then, oh man, look at that, that bed with all those rocks where that tree used to be. Man, we really need to take all those rocks out. We need to level that. We need to resod it, get some grass there. And man, what about those stumps from that tree? I need to move those, all this stuff. And then immediately, I just felt the Holy Spirit convict me and say, Nick, why are you always focused on what is wrong? Why do you always fixate on the negative? And immediately in that moment, I knew that I didn't just do that with my backyard, but the Lord is revealing in my heart was, Nick, you do that to yourself. Nick, you do that to your spouse. Nick, you do that in every area of your life. And when you do, Nick, see what I realized in that moment is, is by focusing in on everything that was wrong, I missed the beauty of what was before me. There were so many reasons to rejoice with what I was seeing. But instead of honing in on those, those beautiful majestic trees that are hundreds of years old uh, and, and the way the wind was causing those leaves to fall, that beautiful picture, I missed the beauty because I was focused on the ugly. And so it, it serves us well to ask, what, what's our focus? What's our focus recently? Are we 
Are we focused on the one thing that God hasn't given us instead of thanking him for all the blessings he has given us in Christ? And, and maybe, just maybe, our discontentment stems from us focusing on the one piece of candy God hasn't given us versus thanking him for all that he already has provided. Where we believe the lie that, God, if you just give me this, if you just fix this, then I'll be happy. And uh, I just want to challenge us and myself, have we thanked God today? Are we a grateful people? There are many reasons to rejoice in Christ. Have we thanked him this week? Have we thanked him this month? If you're here today and you made it safe and sound and you're surrounded by friends and family that love you, you're blessed. You're blessed. May we be found grateful and not just asking him, yes, we go to God and God wants to hear our requests for those things we don't have. But at the same time, are we, are we, are we stopping and thanking him for, for how good of a father he is to us? and all the good ways that he has provided for us. And then the Apostle Paul kind of shifts gears here, and so he kind of thanks God for the Philippians, for their gift. And then in verse 11, he says this, and I find this to be kind of crazy. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Now, we need to stop right there. Someone in a a, a Roman jail 2,000 years ago is saying, I am not speaking of being in need. Now, now, that's crazy, Paul. What are you talking about? Uh, a freedom would be nice, right, Paul? A, a ham sandwich would be nice. What are you talking about? You're not, you don't have any needs. That's crazy. And, and Paul was crazy enough to believe that all he truly needed was Christ, that God's grace was sufficient for him so that he could literally be, be chained in jail and say that I'm not speaking of being in need. See, what he's doing is he's teaching, uh, he's using this, a thank you to the church at Philippi as a teaching moment to them. He's not trying to flatter them. He's not trying to butter them up. He's trying to give them what is far more valuable, a lesson on contentment. And he's saying, he's saying hey, hey, church, church at Philippi, thank you for this gift. But here's the deal. I don't need it. This isn't where my hope lies. My hope is vertically. It's in Christ. This gift is great, but I'm far more grateful, far more grateful that he is at work in your life. And you want to know what my needs are? Listen, church at Philippi, my greatest need in Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of my sins, which he has already met. So I know God. I've been reconciled to God. I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. That is my need. He, Jesus Christ has met that need. And so my needs are not, I'm not speaking of being in need. It's beautiful. It's beautiful uh, picture of contentment. So I think uh, around the holiday season, with church, 21st century church in America, we really need to, to watch what we call needs. If you were just to like record some of the, the silly stuff I said, said these past couple of months of like what I need, it'd be laughable, right? And if we did the same thing to you or maybe to your, your kids, it would be laughable as well. What do we call in needs, which are what are actually wants? Apostle Paul was in jail and he said, my needs are all met in Christ. And what we see there is Paul's treasure, Paul's deepest need was Jesus. And that helped sustain him. And not just sustain him, it helped cause him to rejoice in circumstances which, honestly, I would, I, 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 it would be very challenging for me to say some of the things he said. Um, but Paul moves on. And so it's interesting as Paul wasn't focused on the one piece of candy God didn't give him, but was focused on all the things that he had in Christ. And next, Paul shifts his focus. The second point of my talk this morning is that Paul's focus was on others. Like in, throughout this letter... Paul's focus was not on himself and all the injustices he faced, but on how God was using his suffering for others' salvation and others' sanctification. So Philippians 1, the beginning of this letter, this is what the Apostle Paul says, Philippians 1. 
1, 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about his chains. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What was Paul's focus in his suffering, in his trial, in his imprisonment? Paul's focus was everybody but himself. It was on everybody but himself. See, what Paul knew was that God was using his suffering to bring about salvation to the whole palace guard. Everyone in the palace guard was hearing about Jesus because he'd be chained to someone. He'd be preaching to them about Jesus. Hey, I'm chained to you this week. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And then in addition to that, everyone in the church who was hearing about Paul's boldness and how he suffered greatly for Christ uh, was becoming more bold themselves. And Paul is saying, hey, if I'm taking the hit but other people are thriving, let me keep taking the hits. If these chains are causing these people to know the joy it is to know Jesus and experience more of him in their lives, chain me, bring more chains. His focus was on everybody else but himself. And might I suggest that, again, one of the reasons we might be so discontent as a society and all the studies would say that we're more depressed than we've ever been and yet more affluent than we've ever been and yet more isolated and lonely and depressed. And I think one of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons that might be obviously is far more complex than just, you know, that, but one of the reasons that might be just maybe, just maybe is because we're so consumed with ourselves. We're so consumed with ourselves, my needs, my wants, my rights, my desires. And we don't see that attitude here with Paul. Isn't that, isn't that wild? He's in just, he, he is, he is uh, in jail. He, he's, been, he's been arrested, condemned, and he's not crying out against the Roman guard, the, the, the Romans, and, 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 and you know, defaming the guards who have, are locking him up. He's praying for them. He's rejoicing in the Lord that he, gets to, he has an opportunity to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. We don't see any of that in Paul's letter. He's continually, because Christ has renewed his mind, he's continually thinking about Christ and how God is using his circumstances to bless and sanctify other people. He knew that just as Jesus Christ died so that Paul could live, his mantra now is that he was going to die, he was going to suffer, he was going to sacrifice so that others would live. Philippians 2, the Philippians 2 mindset, have this mindset amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Consider others more valuable than yourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Apostle Paul says this way, for Christ's love compels us. See, Paul experienced the great depths of Christ's love and that compels him. And he says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. One of the secrets about Paul's contentment is that it wasn't about Paul's contentment. One of the great secrets about Paul's contentment here is that he wasn't consumed with his own contentment. His circumstances, his situation was not all about him. John Piper says this. I love this quote uh, from the book, Don't Waste Your Life, by the way, which I'm going to make all my kids read. It is phenomenal. It's like 120 pages. If you haven't read it, pick it up. You can probably, you know, read it pretty quickly, but it is, it is worth every every second of you reading that. It's good stuff. This is what he says in the book. He says, God's glory shines more brightly when he satisfies us in times of loss than when he provides for us in times of plenty. Did you guys catch that? 
God's glory shines more brightly when he satisfies us in times of loss when we take the hit than when he provides for us in times of plenty. The design of Paul's suffering was to make radically clear for his own soul and for ours that God and God alone is the only treasure that lasts. Every other treasure in this world for Paul was fading and it could not offer the treasure that he had in Christ. It didn't even compare. The design of Paul's suffering is to make radical clear for his own soul and for ours that God and God alone is the only treasure that lasts. And I, and I love what he said, what John Piper is saying there. It's not just for Paul, but for ours. When he talks about ours, some about, about you and I 2,000 years later. So here's the, here's the beautiful picture is that two, listen, 2,000 years later, People are still being saved and people are still being uh, sanctified because of the suffering that Paul endured, right? I personally have been profoundly blessed by Paul's letters and his suffering 2,000 years later. His chains have brought about sanctification in my own soul 2,000 years later. His suffering his pain, his agony is causing people to thrive across uh, the entire uh, earth for thousands of years. And, and I got news for you. Christians, the Apostle Paul is having a great day today. He is a deathless creature in a sinless body forever, uh, beholding the, the glory of our God. And listen, he is surrounded by, by people who are there because God used him, uh, God used his suffering to, to call people to himself. Now, I got news for you. Do you think Paul is regretting those chains? Do you think Paul is sitting up there today in heaven saying, oh, man, I wish I had a different retirement plan. I wish things would have worked out differently. No, I don't think he's thinking that at all. And that's the beautiful picture. Just maybe, just maybe, in whatever circumstance you're in right now, that just maybe God is at work in that. And other people are watching fellow Christians and non-believers. And maybe, just maybe, Christ will shine so much more brightly to people who dust in this dark world, in a dark world where, where the Lord knows we need Christ shining more brightly, that maybe, just maybe, Christ will shine more brightly through you in that suffering than if, than, than if you never had any, any need and any need to be comforted. Paul's focus was on others. How can, how can I use this suffering to bring about other sanctification? And look at the result thousands of years of influence. I love it. And lastly, what we see here is that in the midst of Paul's circumstances, that his focus was on Christ. His focus was not on his circumstances, but it was on Jesus. Look at uh, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so one of the first things that sticks out here, the Apostle Paul says it twice. He says, I have learned, and then he says it again, I have learned in any and every circumstance. By the way, in the Greek, that means any and every circumstance. And literally, anything you throw away, I've learned to be content. Well, what we learn about contentment is that contentment is learned. That contentment is not contingent upon your circumstances, but maybe it's only through your circumstances that you learn contentment. Your contentment is not contingent upon your circumstances, but it's only through your circumstances that you're going to learn how to be content. And we know this to be true, that the more profitable the degree, the more painful the process. 
My neighbor has his doctorate in economics. I asked him, how long did it take you to master that? How long did it take you to get that? I believe it was over a decade of studying. Talk to any doctor, talk to any lawyer about the process they went through. The more profitable the degree, the more beneficial the education, the more painful the process is going to be. So contentment is learned. And yes, it might be painful, but it is for our good. Because what our circumstances do is it's kind of, I would say, in a one way, God's refining fire to purify us, to help us realize that our contentment is not in the other piece of candy, but our contentment's in Christ. And so with that said, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. You want to talk about a guy who had his doctorate in contentment? So if contentment is learned through your circumstances, Paul had some crazy circumstances that he went through. Some absolutely crazy circumstances he went through. He had his, he had his doctorate. He, he learned. He learned this. As, as he, as he, he, uh, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, he, he reveals what he endured for the sake of the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. If you've seen the passion, that scene where Christ is being whipped, that is what Paul is talking about here. I'm not going to go into details. But five times. You know, you know how long just, just experiencing that once, you know how many months that would take to recover without antibiotics, without painkillers, without a WebMD to research you know, home remedies or whatever? None of that. 2,000 years ago would have taken months, agonizing months to heal. And then finally those, wind, those wounds begin to heal and then he gets it again. Months later and then boom, gets it again. Finally heals up, gets it again. Finally heals up, gets it again. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And after experiencing all of that, the Apostle Paul has the audacity to say, I have learned the secrets to being content in any and every circumstance. Christians are like nails. The harder they get hit, the deeper they go. I forget who said that, but I love that line. Christians are like nails. The harder we get hit, the deeper we go in our walk with the Lord. The deeper we get to experience the, the, the depths of Christ's love and his, 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 his strengthening uh, power. Christians are like nails. The harder we get hit, the deeper we go. And so every hit that Paul took was, was the Lord driving him deeper and deeper into full surrender and reliance upon Christ and not believing the lies that comfort and security were his hope that Christ was. And that's the power that Paul has of being content. And so the beauty of this, the beauty of this is that every circumstance we face is an opportunity for us to grow in our trust and our reliance upon Jesus, right? Like if we never mourn, we'll, never, we'll miss out on God being our comfort. If we never have a need, we'll miss out on God being our provider. If we're never uh, in need of wisdom, we'll, never, uh, 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 we'll miss out on God being our wise counselor. 
If we're never shaken, we'll, know, we'll never experience him as our rock and our salvation and our shield. Every circumstance we face is an opportunity to experience more of God. Hello, adversity, my slave. How are you going to serve me today? When a, a, a friend of Jen and I, we, we grabbed a lunch with him last month out of, at an Acts 29 conference, and he said something the Lord's been putting on my heart recently is this line is, is hello, trial, waking up and, 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 and knowing what's ahead of me. Hello, trial. Hello, adversity, my slave. How are you going to serve me? How are you going to make me more like Christ? How are you going to advance the gospel? How are you going to, be, how are you going to make Christ glorified through me? Hello, adversity, my slave. How are you going to serve me today? That's the power we have as Christians, that, that anything that comes our way, all good things work out, all things work out for our good. And so uh, every circumstance is an opportunity. And so past couple of weeks, actually this past week, I was uh, at the blessing of catching up with a good friend of mine who the Lord called into ministry. He's on staff uh, at Ohio State. He heads up their college ministry there for Young Life. And we were just talking, and, um, and, and he was an accountant major. He could have made a lot of money. And the Lord called him into ministry. And, uh, you know, they're doing all right now, but this past year he was just talking about uh, kind of some, some financial difficulties that come with being in ministry. And we were able to share, and, I, and I, we were able to encourage one another. And I told him, I was like, dude, you know, we're kind of you know, a similar situation with a guy. Like, we had our careers all planned out, but the Lord called us into ministry. Um, but here's the deal, man. Listen, we could sit around for hours and talk about the crazy ways that we've seen God provide for us. And we would have missed out on that if God didn't call us into ministry. And I will take this any day of the week than, than my own plans. We would have missed out on God as a provider. How cool of an opportunity is that? To be weak so that we can experience his strength. What a blessing that is. And that was such a, that, that conversation just really filled my soul and kind of lined up perfectly with, with what Paul is talking about here, that contentment can be learned. And the key to all of this, and, and I will slowly begin my conclusion here, but the key to all of this is that all of this is, a, is impossible. Contentment in your circumstances is absolutely impossible from knowing Christ. And Paul makes that crystal clear here. Let, let, let no one uh, hear me say any false promises that if you just say some mantras or you just have a gratitude list, you know, that, you, that you'll be more content. It's impossible apart from the indwelling uh, life of Christ. It's just absolutely impossible. This is what uh, 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 <clears throat> Paul says in, in Philippians 4.13. He says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It says, I can do everything through Jesus Christ who, who strengthens me. If we contrasted that for clarity's purpose, or, or clarity, for the sake of clarity, what Paul is saying there is, listen, I can't do anything without Christ's strength, without Jesus and the strength he provides. That's what he's saying. There is, I, I, I can't do this. I can't endure these circumstances. All these things I've been through, I would not have been able to do those apart from Christ and the strength that he provided. It would have been impossible for me to do that. And earlier in the passage in verses 11 through 12, when Paul talks about the word contentment, or I've learned to be content, that word there is sufficient or self-sufficient, and, and, and Paul is kind of stealing that from the Greek philosophers of the day, the Stoic philosophers who talked about self-sufficiency, that I am content. Why? Because I strengthen me. I look in the mirror and I'd say daily affirmations that, that, that you can make it, you can be content, all this stuff. That's not what Paul is. Paul isn't pointing the Philippians to have an inward focus and to be just self-sufficient. 
What Paul is doing here when he's using uh, the Stoic philosopher's term of sufficiency in verse 13 now, he's taking and he's saying the key to contentment is not self-sufficiency, it is sufficiency in Christ. It is Christ who strengthens. It is Christ who is your uh, uh, sufficiency. And so what we learn then there about contentment is that contentment is a complete abandonment of self-sufficiency and a full surrender to and a reliance upon Jesus Christ. Saying, God, the waves are coming and they're huge and I can't figure this out. Would you come? Would you comfort me? Would you come, Jesus, and would you strengthen me? He is our sufficiency. God, would you help me stop believing the lies that if, I just, if you just answer this prayer, then then I'll be happy. Would you help me, yes, continue to pray for that, be, but be content if you don't answer that prayer. It's a full-on abandonment of any, any, uh, any ounce of, of self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency that we could have and surrendering to Christ, throwing it all at his feet and saying, I'm not sufficient, but I know the one who is. And so quick disclaimer here, Philippians 4.13 is one of the most misquoted verses in all of scripture, right? Philippians 4.13, all the athletes have it on their cleats, you know, or their, 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 their Jordans. And basically uh, what we think that means is, you know, if I were to apply this to my life, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to grow hair this, week, this, you know, this year. I can do all things through Christ, Right? Or, hey, this year, you know what? I'm going I'm to walk on uh, uh, to, uh, I'm going to play offensive line, Washington Redskins this next season. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? If I stepped on that field, literally, they'd pick me up, they would, they would snap me in half. It'd be, it'd be ridiculous, right? That's not what this verse means. What Paul, we, can't, we can't rip scripture out of context, right? Which we do all the time. And a lot of times when people attack our faith, they take verses completely out of context, We have to read it in context. What's the context that Paul's talking about here when he says Philippians 4.13? He's talking about contentment. And he's saying, I can do all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure these sufferings. My hope is not in that Christ is going to take away the suffering. My hope is that Christ is going to sustain me through it. That's his hope. And I will conclude with this. Um, I, I really, when we talk about contentment, uh, here's the deal. Our contentment is not found in our circumstances, it's found in Christ. And yes, and yes, God uh, wants us to go with our needs, pour, pour out our hearts to him. And oftentimes I've seen in my life, he will change my circumstances, which is wild. It's cool. And it's all his grace when he does that. But there's prayers that, that, that he hasn't answered. And there's prayers in your life that might not get answered but there are prayers that are, he is going to answer for sure or maybe not get answered the way you want them to. And so um, I'm a, I love reading. And a while back, I was on like a self-help kick. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but a good self-help book is always kind of fun to read every now and then. Um, but there's a danger there. Um, so I'm going to share a quote from this self-help book. I'm not going to name the author. I'm not going to name the book. I'm not trying to defame him at all. Um, there's some really good things that, that, that help me out. But, but, this, but as we read through this, Check your heart and see, does this not tug on your heart as you read through this? Does does what this author is saying not make you want this? Listen listen to what this author says. Is it on the screen? Yeah. There is nothing that says you have to settle for less than you truly want in any area. By the way, all the the all caps and the the italic marks are in the original. I didn't add that. 
want in any area, just because most people do. Even if most people includes your friends, family, and colleagues, you can become one of the few people that actually achieve extraordinary success in every area of your life simultaneously. Happiness, health, money, freedom, success, love. You really can have it all. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we read that last line, and it tugs on our hearts, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we read that. Yeah, man, I want happiness. I want health. I want wealth. I just have to follow all these steps in this book, and, I'll, and all this will work out. I can have whatever I want. And I won't, uh, I won't tell you what I wrote in the margins, uh, but I'll just say that's absolutely bogus. Absolutely bogus. And my hope this morning is that we wouldn't leave here believing the lie that our happiness, our contentment is contingent upon us getting all these things. And once we get all these things, then we'll be happy. See, Christians, we have, we have a, a far greater treasure, a far greater hope, a far greater promise than anything that these things can give us, Right? Christ hasn't promised once we come to know him to give us all these things. The promise of Jesus Christ is that, listen, knowing Jesus Christ is better. He is better. He is better than any health you can experience. He's better than any money you can have or have taken from him. He's better, as what we learned from the Apostle Paul, he's better than freedom. What we learned from the Apostle Paul, he's better than success. He's better than any earthly, horizontal love uh, that, that, that this world can give us. Jesus Christ is better than anything this world can give us or take away from us. Knowing Jesus is the key to contentment. Your circumstances, your circumstances have, have really uh, uh, are just an opportunity for you to experience more of Christ. That's the beautiful hope that we have in Jesus. And so my hope this, this, this Christmas season is that we as a church uh, uh, would not necessarily fixate uh, on our circumstances and, and, and focus inward, but we, we, we look at our circumstances, we go to Christ in full surrender, and Philippians 4.13 say, you know what? I'm going to pray this promise over my life, Jesus, that not, not, not that necessarily going to change my circumstances, but that you're going to give me the strength and the sufficiency and the peace uh, to endure this. And I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to stop believing the lies that contentment can be found elsewhere. I'm going to conclude with this verse we read in Habakkuk 3.17 through 19. And uh, this is what contentment looks like. And this is uh, uh, just a firm foundation we have in knowing Christ. Though the fig tree should not blossom or fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in uh, the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for uh, just the, the honor and the privilege it is to know you, Jesus. You are our sufficiency. You are our comforter. You are the Prince of Peace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are present with us 
in any and every circumstance. And that is the hope we have in this life. Not the things we get and all the things you'll give us by knowing you, but the biggest gift you give us is the gift of yourself. So thank you for that. Heavenly Father, I I pray uh, uh, over each and every person in this room this morning, Lord, who, who, who are here with hearts that are restless and hearts that are confused and hearts that, that are, are, are wondering why am I going through this trial right now? Spirit, would you come? Would you comfort them now? Would they feel your presence? Would they know that you're near, that you love them, that you see what is going on in their lives and that you are actively at work whether they can see it or not? Father, I pray for those that don't know you yet and the joy that comes, the contentment that comes, the peace that comes with knowing you. Spirit, you grab a hold of their hearts and never let go this morning. Thank you for, for you and all the blessings that flow from our union with you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name.